So we're picking up in John chapter 13, uh, verses 31 through 38. Thank you, Kyle, wherever you are. Thank you for preaching last week. Did a phenomenal job. It was great to hear him uh, again. And, and, and he highlighted Judas and, and that whole scenario. And, and we're, we're right now towards the end. Like, like it, it, it's, it's happening. Uh, the cross is, is coming. We see that. And, and Judas now, uh, events are set in motion uh, to where Jesus is going to be crucified. And so we're brought into this scene in John chapter 13, uh, starting in 31, where, where Jesus is giving his final words to the, the final 11, his closest followers that are still there with him. And so it's an opportunity for us uh, and, and, and for them as Jesus shares these final words as to what's going to happen to him and what they're going to do after that. And so we, we pick this up in John chapter 13. We'll look at verses 31 and 32, and it's, or 31 through 33. It says this, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Okay, so uh, once again, right away, it, it says, when he had gone out, now the he here is Judas, so Judas has left. He's out of the picture now. He's gone to uh, alert the authorities. Uh, the chain of events has been set in motion uh, that's going to lead to Jesus's crucifixion. And so Jesus now addresses his followers and literally with the cross being only hours away, he, his mind and heart goes to the glory of God that would be seen and demonstrated and achieved through the cross. So he speaks his glory. And he kicks off this section talking about that. And when we look throughout Scripture, we, we, we see uh, really these, these two aspects to God's glory. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, uh, it says, For all have sinned, and then it says, and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God. And so when we look at this particular aspect of his glory, uh, you could actually uh, insert uh, and, and replace uh, the word glory for honor or excellent reputation there, and it would have the same meaning. So we have one aspect of his glory. It's just that the honor component, uh, his, his, his name, that reputation uh, is excellent. But then there's this second aspect to his glory, and that's the visible manifestation of his character. Okay, it's the visible manifestation of his character, this other component of his glory. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, God's glory was simply not just the honor that was due to him, but we also uh, see uh, in, a, in a real intangible way that his glory was what? A, a cloud, or we see a bright light, and it marked God's presence among his people. In fact, in Exodus 16, God promised the people that in the morning, they would see his glory. They would see it. Okay, so um, God's glory is the visible expression of his excellence. When Jesus is speaking of God's glory, and, and, we, and we've seen it all throughout the book of John, he's incorporating both of these aspects. 
but he applies them in a way that's different from the Old Testament. Well, how? Well, as we've seen in the New Testament, God appears to people through Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God. He's the manifestation of God's excellence because he himself is God. When we see Jesus, we see God. When we understand who Jesus is, we gain greater understanding into who God is. And there's no place that we can look to better understand who God is than at the cross. One scholar wrote, the the supreme moment of divine disclosure, the greatest moment of display glory was in the shame of the cross. You know, when you think of the cross, uh, you know, if we were there on the scene, we would look at that moment and go, man, he's been defeated, right? This, this is one of the most shameful, humiliating displays uh, that, we, that we could imagine as you read and study that account and, and how that transpires. And yet it's, it's so interesting how it's, it's through that very display, through the cross, that God's glory was displayed in the most clear way possible. See, it's, it's in the cross that we actually see God's holiness. It's at the cross that we see God's love displayed in an incomprehensible way. Amen? In, in Romans 5, 8, what does it say? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So his, his love was displayed. His, his righteousness, his, his mercy his, his justice delivered on Jesus. Uh, we see grace. We see his sovereignty and his, his power over sin and death on the cross. We see humility. We see his wisdom, his, his patience, his patience as he is being beaten alive and ultimately his faithfulness to the very end. We see all of those demonstrations of God's glory, those characteristics in and through the cross. And Jesus' last statement here we see regarding his glorification. He's looking beyond the cross. He's looking towards the time when he will be back seated at the right hand of the Father after he's resurrected and ascended to heaven. But a few days earlier, they had heard, the disciples had heard him warn the Jews, where he said, for a little while longer, the light is among you. And now he turns to his disciples and he uses this affectionate term. He says, Little children. Now, it was affectionate if we were saying that to each other. If I said that to you and you're an adult, you probably wouldn't take it so nicely. Uh, but it was, a, it was a term of endearment. He, he reminds the disciples, I'm with you a little while longer. And then he said, uh, just as he said to the Jews, he says to them, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, I want you to get into the setting here. Okay, they've just had this, this, this intimate time with Jesus, this, this meal. Jesus has washed their feet. They've, they've talked and everything, and, and Jesus shares this with them. He says, listen, I'm, I'm going away, and you cannot go where I'm going. This next journey, I go by myself. Man, these disciples, they love Jesus deeply, deeply. Okay, they followed him for three years. They've given everything up to follow him. 
Now, it's, it's easy to criticize them throughout Scripture, right? Some of the stories and things we read, mistakes. But ultimately, these individuals gave up everything to follow Jesus for three years. And so to hear the, their, their Savior and their Lord, their, their Master say, hey, um, I'm going away now, and you can't go where I'm going, this is a tough moment. This is hard. And so they're processing that. They're working through that. Their heads probably go down in that moment. And then what does Jesus say next in verses 34 and 35? In other words, he's like, pick your head up. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, it's interesting, right? He calls this a new command, like a new command. Man, he talks about loving God in the Old Testament. We see in, in Leviticus 19.18, uh, we're told to, to, he tells the, the people to love your neighbor as yourself. So he's talked about love. What, what makes this command new and different? than in the Old Testament? Well, first, it's new because its source is Jesus's love for them. Okay? The command is to love one another. How? As he loved them. It's presenting and introducing a higher standard of love based upon Jesus's example. And what is his example? Ooh, selfless. It's sacrificial it sets this, this perfect, this supreme standard for all of us, for Jesus' followers to, to follow in. And, and, and he says, this is how you're going to love. This is what you're called to love. This is how you're to treat uh, each other. Ephesians 5.2 says what? It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We see John, the same author, right in 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we see very clearly, we are to, um, we, we are to see his sacrificial and his selfless love as the standard, as the goal, as the, as the measurement. But, and this is what I love, this is also the enabling force for us to love, okay? Because when you, when you hear uh, Jesus saying, hey, listen, if you're, the mark of your discipleship moving forward after I'm gone is for you to love each other as I've loved you and you think of Jesus's love, I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, impossible. No way. But what's so amazing, and in a way that only God could pull it off, he not only presents us with this, this standard of love, this new way of loving that he calls Jesus' followers to love each other with, but he also, in that very act, he enables and empowers us to love in that way. He goes, yeah, you're right. You can't love each other like this. You can't do it. So what, what does he do? What, what does he say? Well, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, I love this verse. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, 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 who, I don't know. I had a week off. I don't know what's coming out. But through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
Okay, did, did, did you see that? It says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through this Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, Galatians 5, talks about fruit of the Spirit. What does it say? Love, right? So that is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit pouring into your heart the love of the Father. In other words, yeah, you can't love like this, but through the power of the Holy Spirit who is given to you because Jesus left, he said, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. So because you have the Holy Spirit, there is a love that he empowers you and he equips you to do that you never could do on your own. And it's so much greater than any type of normal, cultural type of love experience that we talk about, that we romanticize about. He says, no, this is not that kind of love. This is a love that only God can produce. So it's a new command because it's modeled off of his love. But the second is it's new because it's going to define a new community. See, shortly after Jesus departs the earth, we see the church established. So this command is new because it's specifically given to the church. You know, when you think about different organizations, uh, businesses that are out there, and and you think of maybe the larger ones, um, there are certain uh, characteristics and and things that are very um, identifiable about those businesses uh, or organizations. Okay, like, like just some organizations, they wear a specific uniform and it's very recognizable. You know what they're about. Some, it's a very, it's a cultural thing. It's even the way they, they speak and act towards each other. I, I always use In-N-Out as my example because I love In-N-Out. Um, you don't have to love In-N-Out, but I do, okay? And, 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 and I just know there's certain expectations I have uh, because they do things the same way. And it's very identifiable. I know the uniform. I know the language. I know there's bags of fresh potatoes in the back that they're going to make their fries with. All these things, they're going to be really friendly. There's cultural things that I go, oh, yeah, that's in and out. When we think about the church, churches should be identified not by these beautiful, glorious buildings. Now listen, I want a building, so I'm not going to criticize it. I'd love for us to find a building. But it's not characterized and defined by these beautiful steeples and who's got the biggest cross on their church. That's that's not it. It should be identified by a group of people loving each other like this. When you think of genuine disciples of Jesus, they should be able to be identified based upon their distinct love for each other. And it's going to be so distinctly different than the world's view and application of love that people will say they must follow Jesus. They must follow Jesus. So what does that look like on a practical level? Well, as we earlier stated, it's, it's sacrificial in nature. Right? It's, 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 it's me uh, surrendering my wants, my desires. It's, it's putting someone else ahead of me. And uh, I love how Romans 12.10 puts it when it talks about this kind of love. It says, outdo one another in showing honor to the other person. Like you should try to outdo each other in giving preference uh, to the other person. 
And ultimately, I always go back to, when I think of the application of God's kind of love, I go back to Paul's letter to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, there, there's some verses here. Verses that more than likely you've heard. Now, most likely you've heard these verses at a wedding ceremony. Now, if I do your wedding ceremony, I'm going to read these verses. I will. I did a wedding a couple weeks ago. I read those verses. Now, here is what I found. Every single wedding I've ever done, when I read these verses, regardless of, of, of the crowd's religious backgrounds, beliefs, whether they love Jesus, whether they don't want anything to do with Jesus. When I read these verses at a wedding ceremony and the couple standing in front of me, just staring at each other's eyes, you know, and every single person's response in the room is the same when I read these. There's nobody sitting there going, really? Nobody. Everybody's like this. Everybody. Like everybody, you could have fought with your spouse. You hear these verses, you go, right? You just do. But, but why? Why is everybody in agreement? Why does everybody like it? Because they're not thinking in terms of them. They're thinking in terms of the bride and groom. This is great for them. So as I read it, everybody is in agreement in the room. Why? Because it's about the couple standing in front of me. The problem is Paul doesn't write this and say, hey, this is for weddings only. This is only for two people standing before each other, before God. Okay, so pastors, for the rest of time, you read these verses. No, 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 no. This is the mark of Jesus' followers' love for each other. Now you ready to read it? I know. That's what happened to me this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's, let's, let's read these and, and let's be honest. Let's be open before God. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says... Love is patient and kind. I didn't even get past that, right? When I think of other Jesus followers, I'm called to love as Jesus loved me. And I'm gonna be patient towards, towards the other Jesus, like, like, like Jesus has been patient with me. So I'm called, love is patient, it's kind. I'm going to be kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. So as, as, if you're going to love other Jesus followers, you're not making it about you. It's not all about what you've done. It's not all about the thoughts of you or maybe how much better than them or more spiritual or more doctrinally sound you are than they are. It does not insist on its own way. Ooh. Boy, we, we like our way. Amen. All of you do. Don't, nobody should be like, what are you talking about? Every single one of us want things our way. But we have to put that away. If we're going to love other Jesus followers, if there's going to be a marked difference in our love, it, does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It's not resenting other Jesus followers. It's not resenting them. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. 
I'm going to address this in a little bit. This one breaks my heart. That we would get to the place of rejoicing in wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. Love believes all things. Then it says, it hopes all things and endures all things. So it believes, it believes in the good. It's hopeful in the good, in, in, in other people, especially in other Jesus followers, in all circumstances. Okay, so, so what do we just read? Well, one, God's kind of love that he's called, if you're a Jesus follower in this room, and maybe you're starting to go like this, but if you're a Jesus follower, he's calling you to look at other Jesus followers and to love them in a way that is patient. You need to be patient with them, not suspicious of them. Man, how often are we suspicious of other Jesus followers? Love doesn't say, uh, why'd they do that? Do you know why they did that, honey? What did they really mean when they sent me that, when they texted me that, when they flippantly said that? What did they really mean? Right, and we take that thought, and we don't take it to a, what, hopes, a hopeful thing, an optimistic, a praiseworthy thing. What do we do? We go to the worst possible thing that they could possibly say. And we hold on to it. Guys, and I struggle with this. Man, I, uh, I was on a run a couple days ago. And on my run, I get a text message. Now, I got this new running watch. And unfortunately, it gets text messages. I hate it. I didn't know how to turn it off, though, the notification. So I'm running. And this is at the beginning of the run, which is like the most, oh, detoxing time. And, and, and so I'm running. And, and not only it says text message, but it says who's it from. So all of a sudden, I get a text message that says, from so-and-so. Don't worry, I'm not going to say your name. And I get this text. As soon as I get this text, I'm like, I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to focus. You know what happened? The thought of that text ruined my run. Because the rest of my run, in my mind, I'm imagining and building up what the text says from this person. And it's not like hopeful, hey, I just wanted to tell you what God's doing, so praiseworthy. It was all the worst possible things I could even think of in regards to this person. And, and, and that's literally what was consuming my mind towards this person as I'm running, and I didn't even know what they said. No idea. Guys, we do this all the time. And we take something, maybe it's even a misunderstanding, maybe it's a phrase, it's a word, it's a look, and we don't model this with each other. We don't hope all things. Uh, we don't believe all things. No, we go to this, this negative place. We go to the worst possible outcome, and we, and we live in that. And, and then we start to, to look at them in that way. And then we do what? We, we start to resent them, uh, avoid them. Guys, Christian love intentionally assumes the best. It refuses to jump to conclusions. It doesn't judge motives. You, your job is not to judge motives. God's got that covered, okay? It's a kind love. Um, I love in, in, in his book, The Mark of the Christian, Francis Schaeffer listed two practical ways Christians can manifest love for each other, as he's talking about this passage, he says they can do so first by being willing to apologize and seek forgiveness from those they've wronged. 
Okay, this is very helpful. If you want to love other Jesus followers well, a first thought, and, and this is really good and it's humbling, is to consider, man, who have I offended? Man, who have I maybe said something to that I shouldn't? Who have I talked about behind their back that I had no business talking behind their back? Who, who have I done this to? This is really helpful in, in exposing what's there. And so, and so the very first thing is I need to seek out forgiveness. I need to apologize for who I've wronged. The next crucial step, uh, he says, uh, the second practical way to demonstrate love is to grant forgiveness, he says, to, to give forgiveness. Now, Here's the challenge when we talk about God's kind of love and, and the forgiveness he's asking us to model and demonstrate. He's asking us to forgive regardless, regardless of whether they've asked for forgiveness or deserve forgiveness in your mind or not. He's saying you forgive how? See, in light of the eternal forgiveness that comes through the cross, Christians should be eager to forgive the offenses committed against them. When you think of the forgiveness, and, and it wasn't just like a one-time forgiveness. If you're a Jesus follower that you've experienced through the cross, you think of the eternal forgiveness to where as I continue to make mistakes, as I continue to not love my brothers and sisters in Christ like I should, I know that by what Jesus did on the cross, he's already paid for that forgiveness. Already. And, and, and so I, I live in this, e, this eternal forgiveness. And, and so he says, listen, out of that forgiveness, you're called to forgive other people, to forgive uh, when someone's going to say something about you, when, when, when you hear other people spreading something about you, treat you in a certain way, uh, act a certain way uh, to you, lie to you, whatever it may be. And, and, and listen, some of us are wounded, we are hurt, and maybe the person that you're mad at or hurt by is even in this room. And I know this happens. I know people that have showed up to gatherings like this here, and they've seen someone, and they're in conflict with them, and you know what they do? They leave. I'm not even going to deal with that. Some of us were like, I'm going to sit over there. They can't see me. They won't know I'm here. I don't want to deal with them. Do you know what this kind of love invites us into? Do you know what kind of mindset it gives us? Literally a mindset of where are they? Because I want reconciliation. Where are they? How do I get on the greeting team so I can make sure I see them? Because I want to reconcile. I want to make things right. Guys, that's the kind of love. It's a love that is eager to forgive. Eager to forgive. Not eager to hold on to. Not eager to teach them a lesson. Eager to forgive. Why? Why? Once again, it's because if God's love has transformed my heart, I should be able to extend that love to others in forgiveness. See, 1 John 4, 10 11, it says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Ephesians 4, 32, Paul says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And Jesus says, if you can love like this, if you will do that, by this, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples. That's the effect. That's the impact that loving like this has if we'll love each other like this as Jesus follows. See, a, a church may have the best doctrine in the world. They may be preaching truth, but that will all be negated if they don't love each other. This command to love, it's not only for the church, right? It, we know that it, expen- it extends out to embrace all people uh, with, with God's love, but, but he's really highlighting us, church. He's highlighting uh, those of us that say, man, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. He says, okay, well, this is what should be the mark that you truly are a disciple of mine. And then we keep going in verses 36 to 38. Simon Peter said to him, we're all like, oh no, what do he say? Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly. I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So Jesus says, hey, I'm going away. You cannot go where I'm going right now. But pick your head up. I have a new commandment. There is a love that I'm inviting you into that I'm going to empower you to do when I leave. And that's going to be a mark that you are disciples of mine. And it's almost like Peter just didn't even hear that. All he heard Jesus say was what? I'm leaving. You can't follow me. So Jesus or so Peter essentially just ignores what Jesus just said. And he asks, where are you going? So where are you going? See, he's still unable to reconcile. The disciples are unable to reconcile anytime Jesus speaks to his death because that doesn't work with what they believe the Messiah is supposed to do and who he's supposed to be. They still can't reconcile that. Jesus had told the unbelieving Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. But in contrast, he replies to Peter, what? Where I go, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterwards. Ooh, there's hope. There's hope there. You see that? He says, you can't follow me there now. Peter, calm down. You can't follow me there now, but you will, Peter. You will. Yesterday, one of my boys uh, was just over and over again about this toy. And I finally said, no, you can't have this toy but your birthday's coming. What was I doing? Hope. (laughs) Hope. No, not now, but hope. Okay? That doesn't work in dating, so don't do it. Okay? (laughs) Don't do it. They'll never leave you. Okay? There's another name for that. It's called stalking. But... He's like, Peter, are you listening? Not right now, but later. You're going to go where I am going to be. 
And so he's giving Peter hope. He's like, hang on, come on, let's go. But unwilling to let it go again, Peter demands, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Now, what's great about this account is the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, also speak to this moment. And so we get to hear just how emphatic Peter was when he's saying this. In Matthew's account, Matthew 26, 33, it says, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Oh, man. Listen, I don't, I'm not in your prayer time with God, but you better guard your mouth from saying stuff like that. He, he then said, in Mark's account, we read in Mark 14, 31, but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And it says, and they all said the same. In Luke's account, uh, Peter says, I'll go to, I'll go to prison and, and die for you. And so we see Peter is emphatically saying, I will, I will go through whatever it takes for you. And all the disciples are there going, yeah, yeah, we will as well, Jesus. There's no place that you're going. I don't care how awful it is. I don't care what kind of a death it is. We're in this together. And then we see Jesus's response. And it's kind of like this. Really? Really, Peter? You're not even going to make it to morning. <laughs> like the rooster's going to crow and you'll have already turned. Man, and that's how it ends. That's how it ends. Peter's so caught up, right? Wait, what? Well, I want to be there. I want, I want that to happen. I'm, I'm with you to the end, and you're going somewhere, and I want to be a part of that. And, 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 and as he's fixated on this desired outcome where he wants to be, he's not only missing out that Jesus has already said, you will be there, but he's also missing out on the new, this greatest of commands to love each other now like Christ loves them. And you guys, the same temptation is true for you and I today. And I would say even more so. We are so caught up in getting through this season, looking towards whatever is next, as long as it's not this. And, and for some of us, just like, God, just come back. And we're just like, I'm ready, make it happen. Now, that's not a wrong desire. That's a good one. Okay, we should be longing for his return. But if we're not careful, we will become so consumed and fixated on that that we will actually lose sight of this new command, of what's going to actually mark our lives as Jesus followers and actually make a difference in this world. And that is for us to love each other like Christ has loved us first. And so that's the challenge. Right? It's not hard right now to look for signs of the end times. It's just not. It's like daily. It's crazy. And I'll be the first to admit, it's crazy what's going on in our world. But I also know that I cannot be so consumed with all of these things that I become just like Peter and I'm losing out when Jesus says, listen, Steve, you're going to get there. Will you love each other like I loved you? Will you do that right now? 
And so for us, church, right now, man, this sermon was so important. And, and I know it was important for me, but I just believe the timing is perfect for us because I can't remember a season in my lifetime where I've seen and heard more professing Christians tear each other down like I have in this last season. I can't ever remember a time, ever, where I, I'm just seeing other Jesus followers just take shots at each other. And, and, and sometimes it's through social media, which is like, I mean, come on, anybody can take a shot at somebody on social media. But I'm seeing people talk about other people. I, I, I'm hearing them say, well, those kind of Christians or, 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 well, they're like this, and, 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 we, and we find uh, the Christians that mostly believe what I think, and then we criticize the other Christians who aren't like that, and, and, and I've just seen it at an unprecedented rate to where we're just tearing each other down, tearing each other down, and what maybe sickens me the most is this. Sometimes I hear an excitement in someone's voice when they share about another Jesus follower's failure. They had it coming. Did you hear? Did you hear what happened? Can you believe so-and-so? Yeah, I knew. I mean, there were, the signs were there. And I'm just like, what is wrong with us? You guys, Kyle alluded to this last week when we were talking about Christian leaders and and, uh, and Christians just failing, and, and, and the, 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 the difficult question of asking, where's the Judas in me? And, and, and he challenged us in that. But you guys, if, if you don't respond any other way outside of grieving when you hear a Jesus follower fail or fall, man, there's issues. There is issues. Because, because listen, uh, I grieve every single time when I hear, whether I disagree with someone or not, man, I grieve. Why do I grieve? Because, man, I know by the authority of Scripture who that impacts and who that affects. It affects the people that the love that we're designed to have for each other is going to reach. That's who it affects. It affects the people who are observing this. It affects the followers. It affects the people who these people have shared the hope of Jesus with, and they see this, they, they see this action, and, and now they want nothing to do with Jesus. Man, that grieves me. It grieves me that now there's a wall there that wasn't there before. And, and just as that grieves me, uh, we see hypocrisy grieving people and causing them to turn away from church at unprecedented rates. Well, where does the hypocrisy come from? It comes from you and I coming in here, putting on a smile. Hi, hi, yeah, I love you, da, 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 da. And then we go out there and we just take cheap shots at us. It's friendly fire. You can't even say it's the enemy. It's not. It's friendly fire. It's you and me. I'm just telling you right now, if you're a parent, man, you better stop that. You are messing with your kid's faith. They do not know how to reconcile you tearing down other Jesus followers. You better be careful with that. I've seen that. I've experienced it. I've lived that. And God had to do an incredible work to untwist how that messed with my mind. And there's two common traits I see when, when people get down this road and they start uh, criticizing Jesus' followers, the very people that he says, you're to love like I loved you. I see two common traits. One is they're never bringing anybody to church. The other trait is they're never bringing anybody to the foot of Jesus. Why? 
Why? Because why in the world, when he says, this is going to be the mark that you're a follower of me, that the world is going to see, and they're going to take note of, and they're going to go, this is totally different. You must be a Jesus follower. Tell me about it. But if I'm not doing that, and I'm, and I'm, I'm living and acting uh, like the world, why in the world would they take me up on an invite to a community of people that does the same thing I do all the time? right? The love isn't any different. And so my, my prayer is that if people come into this space, they don't see this facade that they see and experience a group of people who really love each other, who love each other, who are gracious, who are patient with each other, who reconcile with each other, who, who, who look to forgive each other, who walk away from a tense moment or maybe even a moment of disagreement or maybe they just don't know where they're coming from and they hope and believe in the best in the other person. That's my heart. That's my prayer for this church. And, and ultimately, it's even greater for how we behave and act in the community because how you talk about other Jesus followers at your work, at your school, on your team, and other people that go to this church, if this is your church home or whatever church home you have, how you speak about them is going to communicate the kind of love that you have and the kind of love you've received. And so right now, Why don't we just take a moment and every single one of us go back to that place at the cross? And as uncomfortable as that image is for you and for me, let's go back and just look at the image of Jesus on that cross. And the most convenient thing for me is to have him looking out. But what I found myself doing this week is having that image where he's looking at me. Guys, the message of the cross is what led me to a relationship with Jesus. It's a love that I couldn't believe, I couldn't fathom. It all starts with receiving it. But the next step is for us to put ourselves aside, our agendas, our opinions, our thoughts aside, and go, now, man, I've received this, God, how can I now love my brothers and sisters that you've brought me into community with. Now, how can I love them and reflect this to them? Amen? What a picture. Let's pray.